2: It's just right for us.
3: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of the 16-man practice squad and and being able to have vets because a lot of times when you had injuries before you could put vets on there, all of a sudden this vet that you're bringing up in late October hasn't been on a roster and he hasn't played football. These new rules allow for these guys to stay in shape. They're in your playbook. They know. And there's vets on other teams that we could come get. But... um, Getting guys back that um, have been in your system, understand your playbook, understand your culture, what's expected, it's just a quicker transition. And we wouldn't hesitate to go to Tavon or Duke, uh, Greg Mance, any of these vets, Matt Barkley, um, any of these vets that we added. And then the other part of that is these young guys, getting them ready as fast as we can. I would say some are more ready than others should injury strike to go help us, you know, this season.
4: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup. We're talking about cut-down day and beyond. Chris, thankfully, mercifully, the NFL preseason is over. Yeah. We don't have to talk about any of this horse shit anymore. Real tangible football. We know who's going to play what. We know what teams' makeups look like from top to bottom now. And I feel like this is the first real, se- it's like when you go outside, like right now, this, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday. It's the first of September. It's a crisp 67 degrees outside.
3: Yeah. It's like a nice fall day. I can't wait. When you
4: walk outside, it's like that thing when you walk outside and see the first leaf has kind of started to turn yellow and you go, Oh, it's happening. Football season. Football season is back. That's what this week is for NFL football fans. And so I love this opportunity to go around the division and talk to our our smorgasbord of podcasters, our our kind of crack team that we've assembled here, to talk about things from every team's perspective and look at the highs, the lows of the roster construction and just get a sense of their optimism heading into the year. Obviously, the best place to start that is at the bottom (laughs) with people who have almost no hope. And to kick the show off... As he does every week, Mr. Scott Mason has stepped to the plate. We're here talking about Cutdown Day and the run up to week one. So, first of all, Scott, Cutdown Day surprises for the New York Jets fan base. Were there any for you personally that you saw and you kind of scratched your head, or did you have a feeling that a lot of these were coming?
5: Well, first of all, Drew, I have to say that I had a lot of faith in the Jets coaching staff. I, I really believed and Robert Sala and the guys on in, on his team and their ability to get things done, their vision. And then they cut a guy who was going to be like a fourth or fifth stringer over another guy who was going to be a fourth or fifth stringer. Neither one of them was really going to play much. And now I just don't know if I can trust them anymore, guys. <laughs> I just don't know if I can trust them anymore. <laughs> just, I- it's I gotta say, and you know what I'm talking about. Oh my like God! That's game. all right. That's good.
4: Nice. I like that. You know, yeah. No, again. we hear, we hear it. People yeah. over here are hand ringing over Isaiah Hodgins, and it's like, guys, this is a receiver who, on a per, in, in a perfect world, would never see the football field. If if that's right. if that's right. all you have right. to worry about, then we're living pretty well. I, I, there was a couple things I saw that I was just surprised by: uh, Ashton Davis and Denzel Mims not cut. That was surprising to me.
5: Yeah, I just posted on Twitter that I was coming out of a Wawa and a woman stopped me in the street. She said, you don't look well. Are you okay? And I said, no, not really. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, the Jets kept Ashton Davis over a 28-year-old with four career interceptions. When does the pain stop? I've been in agony all week. When will I feel whole again? Uh, So, obviously, I'm making a joke about the fact that Like we were saying before, there are a lot of people that are getting way too wound up about these types of decisions, but Ashton Davis was a bit of a surprise only because can you guys still hear me by the way? Yep. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Just making sure only because Ashton Davis has really not looked good in training camp this year. He didn't do anything in the preseason. And he hasn't played well the first two years. He's been really bad. And so the accusation, of course, is, well, he was a Douglas draft pick in the third round, and they don't want to cut beat. But they just got rid of a bunch of their draft picks from that 2020 draft. So I don't think that's the problem. I think what's going on with Ashton Davis, truthfully, is he's this tremendous athlete, and they still think they can get him to his ceiling athletically and match that up with his football ability. I'm not so sure. The angles he takes on these tackles is one of the bigger problems. His instincts are suspect. I will say, as far as Denzel Mims, I never thought he was going to get cut. I thought he might get traded, but Andy Vasquez from NJ.com had it completely correct when he came on the show to talk about training camp last week. He said the Jets are going to want at least a fourth-round pick for Denzel Mims, which is now the report. He was just assuming, and it turned out to be the case, it's a beyond. But, but barring that, they're not going to trade him, nor should they. He's too talented to trade for less. And if you're a football team in the NFL right now, why would you give up more than that for a guy who, for as much broad talent as he has, hasn't done anything in two years, really? And couldn't even really get on the field last year. So why would you trade a fourth-round pick? To me, that made a lot of sense. They said, that's why I don't think Mims is going to get dealt. And ultimately he didn't get dealt for that reason. The Jets had his value at A, other teams had his value of B, and so there was they were too far apart. I'm sure that the other teams were calling it off for seventh round picks like what the Bears threw up for Neil Harry, but I'm thinking <laughs> <to say>, uh, <laughs> <Thomas. laughs> <laughs> uh, four. I think the Jets have uh, now. I'd like Denzel Mims to get more time, but I still think that even if he doesn't play a lot early on, having him there on the roster with the ability to step in if, if somebody gets hurt, it's worth more than a fifth or a sixth round pick in twenty twenty-four. They would have gotten for. Him.
4: And that all makes a lot of sense. So I, I, I guess I understand where you're coming from in that front. I also liked Hamza Nasrildin, who was... Uh, that's going to come up in our Winners and Losers podcast this week. Chimunga Adogo, who I thought you guys were trying to trade. It, just, it seems like there was a lot of guys in the roster who were former draft picks that were just not valued highly enough for the team to keep. But then it just seemed values were skewed between what everyone else thought they were worth and what you guys okay. thought they were worth. So then as we look at the roster that's left over... What would you say some of your favorite parts of the final 53 guys that are left might be?
5: One of one of the more interesting stories this year is that the Jets, despite having the most number of players, to get claimed on waivers after they released them, which either means that the Jets made mistakes or that they've become pretty good at building depth, even if what really wins games in, in the NFL is having real difference makers, having depth is important too. And so if they figured out how to get guys that are quality depth and enough of them that they had to let a bunch of players go that were immediately picked up on other NFL rosters, that tells you that maybe they're moving in the right direction. Two of the guys that stuck were pretty surprising because they were untracted free agents. One of them was Sonovan Bam Knight, who I really liked a lot out of NC State. He was a guy that I would pinpoint as a potential late running back in the draft if they didn't go running back early. Now, they did end up getting free tall, obviously. But the thing I like about Bam Knight, and remember, this is so important, and, and young players in college should always keep this in mind. I think part of the reason, or a big part of the reason Bam Knight made it, is not only was he looking pretty good in training camp as a running back, but he contributed in a very positive way on special teams in the preseason. He was one of the best kick returners in the country in NBA. And you saw what he could do in the preseason and the kick returner. And so I think that helped him stick on the roster. The other one is Tony Adams. Nobody saw this coming. He was an untracked free agent safety out of Illinois. Everybody thought Will Parks was going to make it. Everybody thought Jason Pinnup was going to make it a lot of talk about what was going to happen with Ashley. Nobody even gave Tony Adams second thought, but when you hear what Robert Sala said about him, it's really fascinating because Sala has a way of using coach speak a lot, but there are times where you can feel the genuineness in what he's saying. And he said the thing they loved about Tony Adams is that he was getting better every single day. And they really feel like he can be a very good player. And they would have been devastated if they had uh, released him and some other team had taken him. And you can tell he really believes that Tony Adams can be something. And we've seen talent take that regarding the a fifth-round pick at linebacker, who is now one of the best inside linebackers in the league. Not saying it's going to happen with Tony Adams, But that was a really cool story. A couple of years ago, he was a guy that would come into camp every year at wide receiver. The problem is, though, he was big, but he was too slow. He couldn't get out of his brakes quick enough. He'd inevitably end up on the practice squad. This year, they transitioned him to tight end. And so you figure, well, the Jets brought in Tyler Conklin. They brought in CJ Ozama. They brought in Jeremy Ruckert in the third round. They don't have any use for a fourth tight end. Gonna, they're going to carry fourth tight end. It's nice that Cager's going to get a look at tight end. Maybe if he's lucky, he'll do well in training camp the preseason, and maybe some other team will get, give him a look. But Lawrence Cager, and, and this was a great line by Robert Sala, he said Lawrence Cager overnight went from being a slow wide receiver to a really quick tight end. And so he's still a work in progress with a lot of the parts of that job. But he's become a very willing blocker. He's working hard to make that conversion stick. And he did very well in training camp and really well in the preseason to the point where the Jets just couldn't say goodbye to him. And so he's on the roster now as the fourth tight end. And it's interesting because with C.J. Ozama, he's a guy who's had injuries. He's now into his late 20s. He's making a few bucks. So if Keats showed you something this year, maybe Uzama's is the one it done for salary cap reasons, and he's able to stick around. But I thought that was a really cool story, and so were Sam Knight and Tony Adams. The Jets now have nine rookies that are going to be on their active roster out of 53. That's a lot, especially for a team that has had pretty high-leverage draft picks the last few years, to have nine of them all from this one draft on the roster. So I thought that was a cool story that the Jets had that many rookies and that you saw some fairytale endings for some of these guys. Lawrence Cage, you're finally making the roster after the position switch. Sondam and Bam Knight and Tony Adams kind of coming out of nowhere like an RKO to claim roster spots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, looking to, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching those guys this year. And I think Bam Knight, look, with – Michael Carter, who obviously going into his second year, a young guy. Reese Hall, a rookie, young guy. Sam Knight, an undrafted rookie now. The Jets have been making of what could be a potentially really fun and really talented young backfield. And uh, that's something they haven't had in the longest time. I can't even remember, truthfully, the last time they could, they had a backfield with this much long-term potential.
4: Well, and that's obviously a plus for a team like yours. I mean, I'm not trying to punch down here. We're not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to throw you, like, uh, see, I'm I'm trying to come up with a wrestling reference, and I can't, because it's been 20 years since I watched wrestling.
5: But
3: <laughs> Well, you know, if you want to, you can always go into business for yourself, like CM Punk. <sighs> I
5: hate you. But, but CM Punk is not one of the young talents, so... He wouldn't be with Brees, Hall, Michael Carter, and Bam Knight. He'd be more like the Joe Flacco, I guess, of uh, of the Jets roster. If he was here.
4: So I take a look at this and I say to myself, okay, so you guys have the bones of a team that because when you're bad for as long as the Jets were bad, I mean, you guys played the the uh, what's his face? I can't I, the Jamal Adams situation as best as you could, parlayed that right. into what you see on paper now. Along with multiple high draft picks just because you're a back to back four-win team. Obviously it's it's easy to get excited about what you've cultivated. I look at some of the fractures in that though, when I see your roster and I see the line depth. Like the offensive line depth has to concern you a little, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, not in the not in the interior. The interior they have really good depth. They've got Dan Feeney, Mr. Feeney, as I like to say, if you watch Flame Throw back in the day. But Dan Feeney can play guard and center. Okay. Nate Herbig, who they brought over from Philly, can play guard and center. And Herbig actually is a really good player. He's a starting caliber player. He played very well when he started for the Eagles. And so he can play both guard spots and center. Okay. So the tackle position is the issue with depth, Drew, because obviously they lost the Beckton. They cut Connor McDermott and – Shuma Doga, but that's really addition by subtraction. Those guys are both terrible. They've got Dwayne Brown, they've got George Fant. they've got Max Mitchell behind them, a rookie fourth rounder, but that's it. And the problem, of course, is Mitchell's a rookie completely untested. Dwayne Brown is thirty seven years old. And pretty a fairly changed. So Chess fans are correctly worried about the tackle spot. They definitely need to do something there. The problem is, I'm not really sure who you can add at this juncture that would make any kind of difference. But I would assume Jodo is probably calling around looking for the possibility of maybe dealing like a future conditional late round pick for an offensive lineman who could provide him some depth because you really need experience. Talk about. The fact that right now it's only Max Mitchell and two guys, one that you know is you know, well past his peak years, and obviously because of that susceptible to injury, and the other who's coming off of an injury. So their their depth is excellent on the interior, their depth at tackle is very lacking and they need to do something about it.
4: So you guys are missing your... So you have lacking tackle depth, a lot of exciting young players. Your quarterback's going to miss a few games to start the season. The magic question that we're asking every one of our guests this evening as we close each segment, the Jets can make the 2022 playoffs if... I need you to finish that statement for me.
5: There are a couple of ways I could answer it, but this is the most simple way that I can do it. And I think it's probably... If you were to ask me one thing that would propel them to the playoffs, it would be this. The Jets can make the 2022 playoffs if Zach Wilson truly blossoms this year. So I could say if the Jets get lucky, which is true, because if they get a couple of lucky bounces, we all remember what happened when the Dolphins made it with Adam Gase a couple of years ago. If you go back and look, I remember – Joe Chad, who is the Dolphins' key reporter for the Palm Beach Post, he was on Locked on Dolphins with our mutual friend Travis Wingfield, who now works for the Dolphins. And they were going over Gase's playoff year in Miami, and there were like six completely spooky wins. Like, they won one on an INT return for a touchdown. They won another on a blocked kick. Like, it's stuff like that happens, obviously. The Jets have a shot at the playoffs. If a lot of the young talent that they have and that they're relying on, especially the rookies, outperform what most rookies do their first year or what a lot of these young players tend to do even in their second year, the Jets have a chance. If the Patriots go up in flames the way that some of us think they might and the Jets are able to win two games against them unexpectedly, then that might be a way they could get it. If they split with the Dolphins or even somehow – steal a game from the Bills. If, say, the Bills have clinched. I have, I can't remember exactly when the Jets play the Bills the second time. But, say, the Bills have clinched or something, or somebody's hurt, or they catch them off guard. If they get lucky like that, then maybe they have a shot at the playoffs. But the biggest factor, for if, if they are to make the playoffs, would be that Zach Wilson makes a really big leap, leap in year number two. Now, I think it's definitely possible that Wilson – could make significant progress in year number two. However, I think it's fairly unlikely that he's going to be good enough to propel the Jets to the playoffs without a lot of luck involved as well, simply because if we're being honest about it, Wilson had his moments last year, no question about it. But in totality, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year, which, well, you know, so was Trevor Lawrence, so was Justin Fields. The the issue is you can't expect them to go from that immediately to like a top ten quarterback or something. You got to figure that this year maybe look look what happened with Josh Allen for example. Allen went from year number one being one of the worst QBs in the league by virtue of him being a project who was starting a little earlier than people expected to year two where he wasn't good per se but much better. And then year three where all of a sudden it was like whoa i can't believe josh allen is this good so if, if let's say allen was like the 20th best quarterback in the nfl which is still statistically fairly below average if wilson could get to that this year right and all the other pieces around him are really good and they catch the breaks maybe but i think the reason why it's not all that likely the jets are going to make the playoffs is because I think given the division they're in, given some of the early games they have to face and overcome, and given the the size of the league Wilson would have to make to realistically win enough games under those circumstances for the Jets to make the playoffs, it's probably not going to happen, but that would be the way that it would happen. If Zach Wilson goes from one of the worst quarterbacks in the league in 2021, to one of the, say, 12 best in 2022.
4: Well, I'll tell you, it's a long shot, but we're pulling for you. Outside of two Sundays the entire season. (laughs) Why don't you let everybody know where all your content's going to be for Play Like a Jet and what they can look forward to in your run-up to Week 1?
5: Well, first of all, Drew, I appreciate that you're pulling for the Jets, except for the two games against the Bills. And my only response to that is to channel my inner Bruce Pritchard and say, "I love you." <laughs> I'm sure Chris knows that reference. A little brother love action right there. But where can people find Play Like a Jet? Well, of course, anywhere that you download podcasts: Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple. So if you want, you can send me an email or a DM. I'll stand out on the street corner and blast it in front of your house. Whatever's easiest for you, you let me know. Uh, you can follow on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. We've got our store over at Tee Public, That's TeePublic.com. We've got our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash PlayLikeAJet. The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, does some awesome videos over there. And obviously, he's going to ramp up more of them as the season gets closer. But gentlemen, as always, I appreciate you having me on. And I cannot believe that we are a week away from the season actually beginning in 2022. And I can't believe that we are that much closer to the in-season debut of the Grills Mafia.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: And now joining us to talk about the Miami Dolphins and how their team fared throughout cutdown and in the run up to the start of the regular season, as always, Mr. Elf Arteaga. You and I had a really funny conversation going earlier today on Twitter about you were going lands, like shopping for landscaping materials. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were buying some, um, like pots and potting material and rocks and stuff to do landscaping with and plants. <laughs>
4: So this is the thing that's funny. Like, there's a lot of Buffalonians listening to this podcast going, wait a minute, it's the end of September or the end of August, start of September. What are you talking about landscaping? <laughs> Guys, he doesn't understand the concept that here in Buffalo, landscaping, you do it once at the very, like, tail end of spring, start of summer, and then you don't think about it again because it only matters for three and a half months. Like, that's it. Snow covers it. Your The sun eventually kind of bleaches out your your uh, mulch, and no one cares. And then it starts snowing, and it just buries everything for, th- for the rest of the year <laughs> that's that's kind of what happens up here. Meanwhile, elf responds, "No, down here you have to work to maintain your landscaping all year until a storm blows it into your pool or out into the lake <laughs> When was Pretty the, much when was the last time your landscaping got destroyed by a storm?
1: We're talking like it's been a while hopefully I'm not jinxing us okay." <laughs> But it's been a while since we got a, a bad storm. I'm thinking it was like three years ago, maybe. Uh, I, te- I tend to, and I don't know if you guys do this, and you guys are football fans, so you guys tend to, you probably will do the same thing. But I mark time by football seasons. So if if I, th- I think of a storm, like, I'll tell you right away. Hurricane Andrew, Dolphins went to the AFC Championship game against uh, the Buffalo Bills and lost. Okay? I- I remember that clear as day. Okay. Uh, Hurricane Wilma, awful team, awful team that year. Uh, it was, uh, Tony Sperano's last, last year here. Oh, so, yeah. It was bad. So we're talking, you know what? Brian Flores was not here. I think this was Adam Gase's last year when we had a pretty bad storm and it didn't blow a lot of things down, but it brought so much water that a lot of things just started floating away. <laughs> and it's one of those things where you know you you feel like okay the storm is coming and then everybody's saying all right storm is coming so you should put up your shutters and I'm like all right I'll put up the shutters although I'm looking at the storm and I'm like okay this is not this is not a killer storm but it is going to bring a lot of water but I'll put the shutters cuz I got accordion shutters so those are easy to put up so it'll take me 30 minutes to put them all in the house so I put all the shutters up and I'm looking outside, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna bring in my bar, okay? <laughs> even though it's even though it's in inside of uh, it's under a, a like a like a, a porch, right? So it's it's covered. It's a lanai, right? So it's covered. That's where I have a TV outside and everything. So I'm like, you know what? It's probably a good idea to take down the TV, take down all this stuff, just in case. You know what I mean? I don't I don't want to wake up in the morning and then all this stuff is blown out into the street, right? <laughs> so I take all of that down. I bunker everything down, and I'm like, all right, I'm cool. And really nothing happened, just a lot of water. But the next morning I woke up, opened the door. I looked out front and I'm like, where the fuck are all my plants? <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way somebody decided, all right, now is the time in the middle of the storm to go to Al's house and start stealing all of his plant, all of his, all his potted plants and all his plants off of the, the, the front of his house. Right. Uh, if it was, it's a great caper, because he got away with it, and I would have never known. But all of it was gone. And then if you look in, in the neighborhood, it's like an, an atomic bomb went off, and it decided just to kill every single plant in the neighborhood. Just odd. Mm. And then for weeks, you know, you're looking at your neighbors, and, and, and you, you give them the wink, like, hey, look, look, at me, look what I'm doing, right? I'm <laughs> doing my landscaping. I think it's time you do it, too, you know? And then you see all the lazy. All the lazy people in the neighborhood are the ones that lost all their plants, and they just left it like that. Just left it. For months and months. That's Buffalo.
4: That's (laughs) Buffalo. People are just like, oh, yeah, my mulch? Yeah, it looks like shit, but guess what? It don't matter because halfway through October, it's going to be so covered with leaves no one will notice anyway. Boo. So the Miami Dolphins, you guys had your cut down day. Any surprises? I know I had some. What were some of yours?
1: Uh, the surprise was that uh, they paid, and this is a little inside baseball, but Kellen Deish was an undrafted free agent. And they went balls to the wall to sign this guy back in in April after the draft. They paid him a $140,000 signing bonus. So obviously they like him, right? And he's six seven, three hundred and five 305 pounds, a great athlete. Camp comes and our coaching staff and everybody, the powers that be bury him on third team never play him then as soon as the cut down day comes they just dump him and we're thinking okay maybe maybe this is like a real like a deep conspiracy where you know they buried him so everybody in the league thinks he sucks and nobody will pick him up well he got he got picked up by the bears immediately and he was the only guy that got picked up the dolphins were able to keep most of their guys but that was the guy that they got picked up and uh, Chris Kaufman, my, my, my co-host, was like, ah, I think this is a mistake. And I'm like, I evidently they don't think it's a mistake because they, they absolutely hate this kid. They give him $140,000, and they evidently think that he can't play.
4: Yeah, they're so, like, oh, no, you? Yeah, you don't deserve any run. the hell out of here. And then someone yeah. else took him off your hands.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And other than that, you know, th- there was a couple of guys. I really wanted to see Braylon Sanders make it back on here because this is a guy that would have been, uh, I'm not talking you know, a top one hundred pick, but maybe he gets picked in the fourth or fifth round if he didn't have so many injuries at, at Ole Miss. But he's a nice little wide receiver. I don't think he's gonna play much, but he's on our practice squad now. Other than him, Ben Stilley was the guy that they cut. And I'm like, oh boy. If anybody saw this kid play in, in preseason, they're gonna pick him up. But evidently the NFL doesn't get the you know, the film that we watch <laughs> or or know about Ben Stilley. He's freak athlete. Big dude, uh, can run. Uh, I think we talked about him. He's six six, three hundred and ten pounds. Really, really good athlete. They managed to bring him back on the practice squad. Um, I think he believe. I believe he had four sacks in the preseason. And you know, uh, he's one of these guys like Zach Sealer's. Zach Sealers is one of our best players, and in my opinion, one of the best defensive tackles in football. And if you believe Pro Football Focus, he's the third best defensive tackle in football. Uh we got him in a very similar way, a guy who was completely discarded, and we found him out of nowhere, and now he's one of our best players. So the hope is that Ben Stilley could be one of those guys. Well, and like, if you look at his career at Nebraska, like the guy won every single award known to man.
4: Well, I mean, that's there, there's something to be said for that because some of these guys, like they're like, oh, they don't have the tape. Yeah, but if they're that good and they're that productive, some of them just find ways to continue being productive, right? Mm-hmm. So I look at you guys and I go. First of all, Lynn Bowden, I, I, I didn't expect much out of him at the NFL level to begin with. Preston Williams, what was the fan base reaction to Preston Williams being cut?
1: Uh, the fan base was kind of ecstatic, and it was, was and it was a say. it was a weird thing, right? Because all camp, right, and and all off season really. And then you have our coach throw, him, throw a lot of shade his way as well. But there's only one lonely guy making noise all camp and it was Preston Williams bitching and complaining. You know, well, I, I re-signed and I'm not getting an opportunity. I should get an opportunity to play and get snaps. And then, uh, and then when the cutdown happened, it was really interesting because Miles Gaskin made it onto the team as the, as our fourth running back. Yeah. And they asked the coach about it and he says, look, we spent all off season signing running backs. And th- think about this. Think about our coach saying this. We spent all offseason signing running backs, bringing in a new system. A lot of uh, you guys in the media saying that Miles Gaskin wouldn't fit and Savon Ackman wouldn't fit, and yet they didn't complain. They put their heads down, and they worked, and now they're on the team. Yep. So what does that sound familiar?
4: What that says is, hey, guys like Preston Williams – Persona non grata. You, you, don't yeah. bring your horse shit into my it house. Was, it was the complete, it
1: it. complete opposite with Preston Williams. We spent the offseason signing <laughs> wide receivers. Preston Williams spent the offseason complaining.
4: Yep, there it is. Solomon Kindley. like that, we was just, a, that was a shock. We just talked about him. I just, We just talked about him. Why did the team cool on him?
1: I have no idea. He played very well this preseason. Look, I think they have a, a fat guy by us on this team.
4: <laughs> they, okay? well, I, well, think about this. As you say that, I'm thinking this is a team that prioritizes it, its attack when you watch them be at their best, when they're kind of getting out in space,
6: mm-hmm.
4: when they're able to be mobile, when they're moving. You, you can't have – it's almost like uh, – Chris, you remember this. The Turk Shoner year where the Buffalo Bills went out and signed Langston Walker and who was the other tackle? Oh, my God. Langston Walker and somebody else. They were two of the biggest tackles in the NFL at that time. They signed them to deals in free agency and everyone said, oh, okay, great. They're huge mammoth men who are good at pass protecting just because they're so big that they're hard to get around. And then halfway through training camp, or I think it was after the preseason, we fired our offensive coordinator and decided that we were going to install a no-huddle offense. Hmm. Guess who isn't good at running a no-huddle offense? Guys who maybe need... 40 seconds to breathe in between plays because they're the biggest guys on the football field. It just blew up in our faces. If you're trying to be an agile lateral offense, I can absolutely see a world where they just don't like the idea of a big guy who's big and strong, but you can't move in space. Does that track?
1: It could be. And a lot of, uh, a lot of our listeners uh, have like, you know, reached out to us to say, you know, uh, You're watching his film, and yeah, he's playing in these preseason games. He's playing like two quarters in these preseason games, and he's looking good for two quarters. But maybe he can't make make it playing this type of system for four quarters. And maybe the coaching staff knows it. And if you look at his body, he really didn't do too much work on his body. He came in looking the same way he looked last year. (laughs) But he's an effective – he's an NFL football player. He still has not caught on anywhere – Which is odd in my opinion. Like he's an NFL football player. Like if, if you carry nine offensive linemen, he should be one and he can play anywhere. He could play, he could play left guard or right guard. He could play for any team anywhere. Uh, he's a good football player, not a great football player. Like you could do better. You could, you could, you could have a better starter. And evidently the dolphins feel as if they have better starters than Solomon Kinley because he was demoted and he was kept demoted all off season and all camp, but. He should catch on somewhere because he's an NFL football player. Like, you know, his tape is not bad. It's good tape. I hate to do
4: this to you, but they just had to end the first quarter and there's a squirrel running around the field during Minnesota and Mexico State. <laughs> the, the coach just waved all of his players off the field. was like, get the hell out of there because <laughs> there's a squirrel. <laughs> you're the biggest Blares. people in the fucking world and you're running away from a squirrel. The decision not to activate Byron Jones from the PUP list. Is this... Am I wrong? Maybe it's just an outsider's bias. Is this maybe one of the biggest, <clears throat> in terms of roster shaping and cutdowns and how these decisions <laughs> affect the early going of your season? This might be the biggest one,
1: right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's he's who allows us to play the system that we play. But... Um, you know, it's just going to press. You know, guys like Kean Crossen back into action, and who knows if Noah Buñaga is going to end there. They signed uh, Justin Bethel today, so that's another I did, guy.
4: I did yeah. see that. We we actually uh, we're, we're going to talk to Christian Simonelli about that for the Patriots <laughs> in a minute or two.
1: Yeah, and they also signed this guy off of off of Carolina's practice squad, Kaelin Barnes, who was the fastest guy. And that's another thing about this team. They have a speed fetish. Like everybody has to be really fast on this team. So they signed Callum Barnes, who ran a four two three 3 at the combine, one of the fastest combines of all time. Uh, they signed him and they put him on the practice squad. So evidently they're, they're stocking up on boundary corners, which is, which is what I think they needed to do because they have, you don't want to start moving Nick Needham around. Uh, he's good at what he, what he does. Keep him there, you know, and you have good safety. So. They're just going to have to cover up for whoever plays opposite of Xavier Howard. And for four weeks, I guess Xavier Howard is going to be pretty bored.
4: So we've been asking everybody tonight favorite parts of the roster and least favorite parts of the roster or points of concern versus things that you feel strongly about. I mean, You just kind of touched on one of the things that I feel is a kind of a kick in the teeth for the Dolphins. It's that your defensive back room, you've got Howard, minor injury, but he's okay. He's gonna play, no questions asked. At least going into week one. Sorry, I'm I'm suppressing a burp here. I'm on my tenth, Montucky cold snack tonight. We're (laughs) we're really doing work over here. We're Chris ramping up. We're earning the right to win.
3: Yeah, that's That's what they might call it. That's what they say.
4: So, uh, Xavier Howard minor injury. Byron Jones, not activated from the pup. Crossin and Needham were both sidelined with injuries throughout the course of the uh, last, what, two weeks? Three weeks of the preseason?
1: Uh, Yeah, but they ended up playing. Crossin was the only one who sat out against the Eagles. Both have returned to practice this week. Okay, perfect. Crossin was a a concussion. He was in the concussion protocol. He returned this week.
4: Okay. So, weeks three and four. (sighs) You guys are taking on two of the most potent passing offenses in the NFL, Buffalo and Cincinnati. And your cornerback group is what it is right now. Is, that has to be a point of concern amongst your fan base, correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. But like I said on, on Twitter, some, some guy was, was asking, well, you know, whoever's on the other side is going to have a bullseye on his back. And I was thinking, OK, the way you got to look at it is like this. You know, wh- who are your choices? Do you throw at A, Xavier Howard or B, Nick Needham or C, whoever plays opposite of Xavier Howard plus Javon Holland? Because that's the way they're going to have to play. Uh, whoever that is is going to have to get a little help and they're going to have to scheme some stuff. So, you know, it's not going to be as simple as just, just send a bunch of blitzes everybody's way. It's going to be about helping whoever is opposite of Xavier Howard. You know, this is not something you want to be doing for for an extended period of time, but I think they could survive four weeks like this.
4: I mean, luckily, your first opponent's the Patriots. They don't even – their wide receiver core right now is like the movie Dodgeball. We don't even know who our best player is. (laughs) 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 Your favorite parts of the makeup of your 2022 roster after the cutdown.
1: Oh, that wide receiver core—it's—it's it's great. It's a really good wide receiver core, and of course, I really like our our defense, our our defensive line, especially, especially our edge players. They went out and they decided, okay, you know, we're pretty happy with the what Trey
4: Flowers had. signing. You guys can go fuck yourselves. That was that was ridiculous.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, You know, they they came out and we were talking about it on the podcast. Andrew Van Ginkle, uh, he he'd had his appendix taken out. All right. And our coach had something very funny to say about that. He said he has an appendix issue and we remove said issue. So he's been out. So Andrew Van Ginkle might, might not play week one. So we were thinking, okay, we need a, a quick fix for the snaps that Andrew Van Ginkle plays because he plays every third down, and then he spells ends every once in a while. And then he even plays a little linebacker. Like He plays a lot of positions on this defense. Okay. So we were thinking, okay, we need to replace him somehow. We already have Jalen Phillips and Ogba on the outside and we have our defensive tackles, but we need a specialist other than just Melvin Ingram. We need another guy because Van Ginkle might not be ready for week one. And then they signed Trey Flowers. And I'm thinking to myself, this team is, (laughs) this team means business. Like they're going out and they're they're getting the the guys and pretty much uh, this is they're hitting every single Josh Boyer erogenous zone that there's that that there's ever. (laughs)
4: All right. So with that in mind, you guys have a solid uh, will eventually throughout the course of the season have a solid DB core, even if they're banged up to start the season. You guys just keep finding ways to fortify your trenches. The question we're asking everybody tonight just to kind of end as we wrap this up. The Dolphins can make the 2022 playoffs if. I need you to finish that sentence for me.
1: Uh They stay relatively healthy. And most importantly, their quarterback. If Tua plays 16 games, not 17, but if he plays 16 games, if, it, if they just have to make it past one game, they're going to win 11 games and they'll be in the playoffs.
4: All right. Are you willing to put a Seagram's Escapes on
1: that? Absolutely. Ah!
4: <laughs> all right. I'm a huge f- I love that that's how confident you are in this. You're probably not wrong. I mean, the depth of your team in certain spots isn't great, but if they can stay relatively healthy and if your quarterback doesn't miss half the season because, uh, first, first of all, here's a question. Are they going to leave Austin Jackson out there on an island against A.J. Appanessa again? Probably not.
1: No. Probably <laughs> they probably or it'll be schemed. Uh, if you have watched any of their games, like they do so much that yeah, sometimes it doesn't really even matter.
4: No, they scheme up protection probably because they've watched what happens if they make him drop back and just stand there behind what is this group of offensive linemen and a st- just standard protection. They're not going to get it done. They have to scheme protection, which is fine. You can do it. The Rams are going to have to do it against the Bills this
1: week. And then all, you know, uh, there's something to be said for all the BS going away. Today they, they named, uh, captains. Okay. Last year there was a big, big controversy over when they had the captains and they picked the captains. Tua was not named a captain. And I didn't think that was the, the, the noticeable one. The one that was noticeable to me last year was that Xavier Howard was not selected as a captain either. And the only people that were selected as captains were all the Brian Flores, former Patriot sycophants. Oh, Oh, and Jesse Davis, the the worst player on the
4: team. Yeah. If Jesse Davis, like at that point you burn the sea because it doesn't mean much.
1: Okay. So (laughs) last year we had this weird selection of captains. Jason McCourty had just gotten here from the new England Patriots and they made him a captain. Okay. And it was just a really odd group of captains. And, I, I've done my own informal poll, and I can't get anybody to confirm or deny if they voted for Tuatunga But I have had several players tell me on the record, although they won't put their names on it, but they don't mind me talking about it, that they don't get how Xavier Howard was not a captain because a lot of guys voted for him. Well, they voted today for captains. Tua Tungvaloa got the most votes. Guess who got the second most votes on the team? Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard. Yeah. So you tell me how that is possible, how those two guys are the top vote getters. You know, Other captains, by the way, are Christian Wilkins, who, who's a fabulous player. Tyreek Hill, who people don't know this. He's been a captain his entire career past the second year with since Kansas City. And then uh Teron Armstead. Those are the captains. On the team. Oh, and Javon Holland. As a second-year safety, but you know how I feel about him.
4: Oh no, he's 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 fantastic. It sounds like Chris. This is what the shitty thing is for us as Bills fans. It sounds like Miami's finally getting its shit together.
3: Yeah, you, you'd hope
4: so. You would hope so, but yeah, it and, I, and I like, like
1: it that, that today. I don't know if you saw the press conference, but uh, Mike McDaniel's press conference had to <laughs> it had to be pulled because he's he cursed. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. Do you allow cursing on, on your podcast? Of course. OK, uh, he was asked, you know, it, well, first of all, he went into the, the 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 captains and he said, look, I like that. I let the team vote on the captains. And I was like, I didn't want to open up the, the ballots and see something weird. But I opened up the ballots. and I'm like, yeah, these are our best players. So <laughs> I love that our coach can acknowledge, yes, these are our best players, these guys that are the captains on the team. These are our best players. But then he was like, you know, they were asking him about, you know, about Trey Flowers. And he's like, look, you may not know this about me, but I love edge players and defensive linemen. And if it were up to me, we draft a fucking defensive lineman every <laughs> single year in the first round. <laughs> and, and then he goes, whoa, I think you're going to have to edit that out. And sure enough, they pulled the the press conference and they edited out him saying, I would draft a fucking defensive lineman in the first round every single year. That's awesome. So, so, you know, I, you know he, he knocked it out of the park today as far as, you know, talking about his, his captains. And, you know, he, he keeps throwing shade on the previous administration because he, he came in and he said, look, I, when, I, when I got here, I, I went into the locker room and I saw the, the defense on one side of the, the locker room and the offense on the other side of the locker room and the special teams guys, the kicker, the long snapper, and the punter by the coach's office. And I'm like, I don't like this. I want to move all of this around. And he moved there all around. So like, it's all completely commingled. And he goes, Look, we got to be a team. We can't be a, you know, two units. And I understand. And he, he also said that, Look, I understand that our defense has been carrying this team, but now that I'm here, we're a team and yep. we carry ourselves. So he's hitting every single, uh, you know, he's hitting every single note that you can possibly want. And then you saw him against the Eagles. And he brought out a few little tricks. He showed you, he gave you a little bit of a taste of what the offense is going to look like, and you start to think to yourself, "Yeah, this guy knows what the hell he's doing."
4: Well, I'm excited for you guys, except for Week Three. You know, obviously that that can't go well for you guys if you're a Bills fan. Like in my mind, I can't, I just can't root for you then. But Between now and then, we're going to have a lot to talk about. We're going to do this AFC's roundup throughout the season. Where can people find your run-up to week one on Twitter? Where can they find your podcast?
1: Yeah, next week we will do our preview of the season and week one against the Patriots. And you can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcast: uh, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere. And on Twitter, you can get our stuff at the number three yards per carry. So find us there.
4: Now, Chris, I know I already have an open beer. I'm opening a second one for this conversation Oh, as we start talking about the New England Patriots post-Cut Town Day ahead of week one of the NFL season. And on the line with us is Patriots super famous Christian Simonelli. How are you this evening, sir?
7: I'm OK, gentlemen. How are you?
4: Not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, I need any time you can get get out, get out of the house, crack multiple beers and talk football. It's you can't call it a bad day. <laughs> Now, we're looking at the New England Patriots, just kind of what their roster looks like after the cutdown, after the preseason process played out. Were there any surprises to you and the Patriots fan base?
7: Um I guess like just based on the preseason and and the past sort of like uh you know practices and a couple of games. I think, you know, a guy like a little Jordan Humphrey that was cut, but actually ended up getting put back on the practice squad was a bit of a surprise. Um, but not really like any like frontline guys. Um, Justin Bethel, I thought was kind of curious. Um, he actually ended up signing with the dolphins today. Um, well, Cause they have no one no. at defensive back
4: They're they're, 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 right. they're literally two weeks. They're two steps away from starting Chris at corner. <laughs> right.
7: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I guess 10 rookies making the team kind of a surprise. So I mean, they obviously need to get younger and faster. So I don't know how much better they got, but they got younger. (laughs) Well,
4: and that's like that's one of the questions I had because I saw them jettisoning some guys. That it was interesting watching them. It kind of actually played into the storyline with OJ Howard. You know, we cut OJ Howard. He goes to the Bengals, and everyone assumes, look, the Bengals, AFC contender, is going to get this guy. That we we're going to talk about him in this week's uh, winners and losers Mm -hmm. podcast, but. Then all of a sudden they pick up Devin Asiasi off waivers and let O.J. Howard walk because he said, Well, wait a minute, here's another guy who does just as mediocre of a job playing tight end as you, and he's not gonna cost us three, you know, a couple mil. So right. to hit the bricks, OJ. So when I see this and I see that you guys cut both of the depth tight ends that you had, I th- that was kind of the thing about your team. I feel like after Gronk left. After Brady left, you guys said, okay, let's steer into this. We're going to try to rebuild this tight end room so that we can go back to this 12 personnel, variable front kind of a thing. And you guys invested not nothing in terms of draft picks. I mean, I think one was a fourth round pick and one was a third round pick, right? Right. Dalton Keene and Devin Asiasi. Right. And you cut both of them, which I see that and I just, I wonder, you're going in with two tight ends. What does that mean for your offense?
7: Well, I think first, just getting back to those two picks, you know, I think Bill knew pretty early on that those two guys really probably weren't going to work out because the next, you know, year, the next offseason he went out and he, and he just, and, and, you know, uh, um, obviously they knew, okay, we need our offense revolves around the tight end primarily. Um, and I think that when you look at, Look at sort of the past years where Gronk. Everybody said it was Edelman that made the offense go, but to me, I always thought when Gronk was in there, it made them so much more difficult to defend. Um, so now you got Henry and you got your new Smith, and maybe you run that twelve personnel. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do with a guy like, like I said, like um, Little Jonah Humphrey because he could probably play some tight end too. But it, look, it's just a, it, it's just a, another knock on Bill's drafting. Um, team basically never saw the field, and Asi, Asi when he was out there, flashed maybe one or two plays, but I mean, that was it. And and I just it's just another field draft. I mean, it's just another field, two other field draft picks that you can just rack up. Um,
4: well, there was that tweet the other day by Bill Barnwell. That I mean, it's funny, one of our listeners had to send it to us because he's got us blocked on Twitter. I'm sure you're shocked by that, Christian, right?
7: Oh no, <laughs> can't imagine anybody would block you. <laughs> yeah,
4: you're you're shocked that someone's blocked us on Twitter. So Bill Barnwell put out that tweet about how uh, the Patriots had 13 first, second, and third round picks between 2018 and 2020. Right now, it looks like they went two for 13, and he just has a chart breaking down all of the picks. It's not mm-hmm. a good look. Like it really, and I, but some of that's not fair. Like he's he's including on this list. I'm just looking at Uche, who still has a role on the team. Uh, he's pointing out like, uh, like, what is this? I mean, obviously, Nikhil Harry, that didn't uh-huh. work. Uh, but Isaiah Wynn, I don't know that you can classify him as a miss. I think that was more just off the hype that he was on the trading block, but it's still an indictment of the fact that you guys haven't drafted well. When I take a look at your roster. Yeah, I have questions. I mean, because we're here talking about favorite parts, least favorite parts of the roster. I'll start with my least favorite part, and I want to see what your reaction is to it. Four running backs in the stable. You drafted uh, Pierre Strong this year. You drafted Ramondre Stevenson last year. You took Damian Harris the year before that. You bring in Ty Montgomery. Now, maybe Ty Montgomery makes it, and you guys are going to put him on the IR, or whatever happens there. But as of today, I'm seeing that you only have two tight ends, And you only have five listed wide receivers. I look around the AFC and I see that teams are going tight end heavy. They're going wide. They want more skill players at their disposal because it it gives them variables that they can throw into the equation, different skill sets that they can bust out at a moment's notice and kind of change the look of their offense. And so it just seems counterintuitive that Bilichek would instead decide to shrink those groups and say, listen, I don't need that. What I need to do is carry more defensive
1: players.
7: It is kind of strange, um, particularly for a team that, through the years, has has really relied on guys like James White and Kevin Falk and Shane Vereen for those crucial third down plays. I mean, those guys, for years, kept the offense moving. And it wasn't necessarily like they would convert a third and 13, but – you know, a third and six, and all of a sudden, you know, defenses would clamp down on Gronk and Edelman or Amendola, and then you'd have James White slip out of the backfield and get the seven yards for the first down. Um, so, yeah, I, it was kind of curious, you know, since the practice squads have been expanded to 16 players, th- that allows them obviously for a little bit more flexibility to carry guys on there and, and call them up. Um, so maybe that's part of it, and, and Bill Baby says, okay, I know I can get these guys on the practice squad, And I'm not going to really lose them because, you know, no one else is going to grab them. And I can put a little bit more emphasis and add a little bit more bodies on defense. That's true.
4: But I'm looking at this here and you got little Jordan Humphrey, who I was surprised you guys cut because he was a spark plug for your offense. And then Matt Sokol, Jalen Weitermeyer, former Buffalo Bill, Trey Nixon Mm -hmm. and J.J. Taylor. So out of your 16 practice squad spots, you guys put five of them to offense and the rest of our
7: defensive players well bill belichick's defensive coach so um yeah. you know i mean any any you know he you know i think the argument can be made too that you really don't have actually i'm you really don't have you don't have they don't have a number one corner and i'm not sure they have a number two corner mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> so. yeah that's
4: a scary prospect
7: right yeah. And so you got bodies on, you know, on the practice squad, you know, a cornerback. And I was bummed out that they cut Cameron McGrone at linebacker, but they signed him back to the practice squad. I have no idea, no idea what they see in um, Jelani Tavai. But all I know is that he played like the whole preseason and they ended up making the roster. So I'm real curious to see what that linebacker, how that linebacker position shakes out. Um and, and and particularly to the cornerbacks. I just think the cornerback went from uh, area of strength not but two years ago with Gilmore and Jackson back there to now just a bunch of a bunch of Jags, basically. And two rookies, like, two rookies, the Jones boys are in there, Marcus and Jonathan um, – uh, Jones. Um, I'm sorry, Jack Jones. I'm getting my Jones confused. There's three Jones back there. There's Jonathan Jones, Jack Jones, <laughs> and Mark Krishna. So I gotta get Jones. Keep those Jones, Jones and
4: Jones. It's
7: like Jones, Jones and Jones, the firm of Jones, Jones, and Jones. Yep. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so it can't all be doom and gloom, though. There's gotta be some parts of this Patriots roster that you feel b- pretty good about after watching how it shook out and what the fifty three men roster looks like. What are some of those things that make you feel a little bit better?
7: Oh no, it's all doom and gloom. You're sorely mistaken. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I, I didn't, I didn't see anything this preseason at all that gave me any ray of light, any, oh gee, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them play this year. Um, because <laughs> it was just so bad. And they ended the preseason on such a bad note against the Raiders on both sides of the ball that I don't feel good about anything, you know, like, you got people here talking about, well, you know, if they make it through the first four games, two and two, you know, then they got a four game stretch, you know, against, you know, against like layup teams like the Browns, you know, on the Lions is that and the other thing. Uh, hello? No, you shouldn't be penciling in anything right now. You have no I have no idea what this offense is going to look like. I have no idea what this defense is going to look like. I thought the defense was going to be okay. And then they had the practices with the Raiders. And then they, you know, apparently uh, Albert Breer had pe- was talking to people and um, coming out of the Raiders practices. And they were like, yeah, hey, you know, those guys, man, they they, they can't cover anybody. Um, so, and that's demoralizing like, here I, <laughs> it's demoralizing to hear as a fan. I feel good about two people. I feel good about two players. Christian Barmore. Um, on the defensive line, I roll think tight. he's going to have a big second mm, year, <laughs> and obviously Matt Jude on at linebacker. Those, that, those are the two guys I feel really good about.
4: I look at your defensive line group and I say to myself, if there's a unit here that anybody could hang their hat on, it's probably that. Because yes. Lawrence Guy, you know what you're going to get from him. Christian mm-hmm. Barmore, you know you not only know what you're going to get from him, but he was fantastic by defensive mm-hmm. lineman standards last year as a rookie. If he can even just maintain what he's done so far, much less build off of it, he's going to be good, and it's going to be a good thing for the Patriots. Matthew Judon kind of faded down the stretch last year, but I, a part of me wonders, you know, Barmore wasn't completely healthy down the stretch. I right. think that the, the kind of the, th- the thinness, if that's a the lack of depth on the defensive line last year kind of showed through at the end. You, know, you guys went into that playoff game against the Bills, and you got a not 100% bar more, but you're asking him to play starter snaps. Matthew Judon can be easily double teamed at that point if you don't have to slide two people in to block him, and it just fell apart for you guys. So maybe that kind of lends itself to why they put such an emphasis on keeping defensive ends, nose tackles, defensive tackles. Uh, you look at the depth chart. You guys are running three deep at nose tackle, and at the same time, you only have one left guard with
0: the roster. Right? You can tell
4: right. that they looked at that and said, okay, if we're going to win, it's going to be because we control the line of scrimmage and don't let teams push the ball on us. I, I look at that and I say, this could be a unit that does well for the Buffalo Bills, especially if you get guys like Raquan McMillan, who I think was doing well in Miami, just as things started to shift, he didn't fit. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of former Alabama players, actually. Anthony Jennings, who started, Jennings. To, who started to show a little bit. You know, he's he, good camp, good summer. Yep. So th- your front seven is probably going to be the strength of this entire roster, which sucks. Like it's a bad place mm-hmm. to be when you go, hey, we don't have a lot of protection on the back end, and we're in a <laughs> division where everybody just upgraded their pass catchers. Everybody in except it- for you guys. <laughs>
7: Right. And, and and just speaking about Judon, like he, he acknowledged last year the, the drop off and he acknowledged about, you know, being in shape and about yep. um, you know, being able to, you know, uh push through that sort of last quarter of the season, you know, that he was that he was kinda worn out. But I really do. I think that's a great point that you make about the rest of everybody else upgrading. To me, it is more about how much better everybody else got to like In the AFC West, you have four legitimate teams. You know, in the AFC North, you know, you got Pittsburgh. It's always tough. You got Cincinnati. Um, I think Baltimore is going to bounce back this year. As much as I hate them, but like half the team was on IR by like week five last year. So I think they're going to be in the thick of it. And your division obviously has gotten better. So yeah, it's more about what everybody else has has done. Um, and how much better they are. And I just, I, I just don't see that they have the bodies to hang with a bunch of these teams. I don't, I, Bill Belichick can scheme it up all he wants, but you know, he, he schemed it up the past two years. Where did that get him? You know, yeah. no playoffs in 2020 and it got him and it got him, you know, knocked out in the first round, you know, 47 17 with no punts. So, <laughs> I mean, hey, that's that, that burns. I mean, that's the last image we have.
4: That's And I was going to say, I think part of it is just the lingering taste of the way last season ended. And then, like you said, watching the arms race around the AFC and knowing your team isn't even attempting to keep pace. Right. I can see how that's demoralizing. The magic question we've been ending everybody's spot with tonight. The Patriots can make the 2022 playoffs If. if. How do you end that statement?
7: Oh, easy! Patriots can make the twenty twenty two playoffs if the uh, AFC has a rash of injuries at every team.
4: <laughs> if everybody's quarterback is on the same plane and it goes down,
7: <laughs> that's like, really like, like we I think are one of the only ways they can make it. Yep. Um, I just I don't see them. I, I, I I'd be surprised if this if this if this uh, if this roster wins more than eight games. I'd be surprised Ooh, right now. Right crazy. now, the way that this, the way that this scheme is set is set up and the way that they've looked, I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if they win more than eight games.
4: I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're down in your team right now because we talked about it. You've got the hangover from last year. You've got the bad taste in your mouth with their lack of free agency action, how this preseason went, that Raiders game, which yeah, throw that tape away. Don't even watch it in the locker room. In fact, you, yep. you, you, you bring a priest in to throw holy water on it. <laughs> So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you week one. I'm going to give you week one. We'll let this pass and we'll get together week two and we're going to make a Seagram's bet between you and us on what the actual under over is because you're saying more than eight games. less than eight. OK, yep. let's figure it out. after you've watched them play a real game, see whether you feel better or worse about that then. All right. All right. <laughs> so we're gonna let you go. Before we do, where can people find you on social? Because I, you're you're a fun individual to interact with.
7: If you can find me on Twitter at Chris with a T I A N, and um, you know, give me a follow, give you a follow back. And uh, once you guys get the bate on, I'm real curious to see his response to Bill Bonwell's tweet because he, uh, you know, had a comment about it Teeth. being sort of out of context. So, uh, yeah, curious to see what he has to say.
3: Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, and Alf uh, Artiaga should apologize for Scott and his connection there. He's driving on the Jersey Turnpike. So with that in mind.
4: At that point, I mean, he might as well have been driving through Fallujah, though. I mean, it is the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. or You know what? I heard of a drink once, a cocktail called the New Jersey Turnpike. It's something that bartenders would give to problem customers who were too intoxicated.
3: Probably has Southern comfort in it.
4: No, what it is is it's where you take the bar rag and you run club soda through it or soda water through the gun and just wring it out into a glass and hand it to them. So
3: the Jersey Turnpike. It sounds delicious, but with with Scott on the Turnpike, I mean, there's no better trio to... Relate them to other than the Jersey Triad. Oh my god. What? Canyon, DDP, and Bam Bam Bigelow. None of them are Asian. Why are they calling themselves the Triad? The Jersey Triad. You have to be white and poor to be in that, <laughs> in that Triad.
4: That might and at least be a
3: secret. One of them's got to have a tattoo on their head.
4: People don't. People underestimate how funny you actually are. Like, they really do. I feel like our listeners have no idea the cutting sense of humor that you have. Yeah. That I get to enjoy all the time. How
3: do you think I got my landlord?
4: (laughs) It's certainly not with that fucking hair. So we're talking about the Buffalo Bills and cut down day surprises. Let's start there. Anything that shocked you? Right. I mean, we all kind of knew what the roster was going to look like. We've said that all offseason long. Was there anything that still surprised you?
3: It would probably have been O.J. Howard. Yes. Based With, on dead cap and all that nonsense.
4: Which we're going to get into in much finer detail, just to, just to keep this show moving, into more detail on our Winners and Losers podcast this week. Make sure you check that out. I think Isaiah Hodgins was a little bit of a surprise. He was pre- He. was. I, I mean, I saw some... Uh, some screen caps, and I saw some stuff out there from the national media. Isaiah Hodgins was one of the most productive wide receivers in the NFL during the preseason. Like, that's not nothing. Yeah. And I, and I understand the surprise of our fan base when it comes to Isaiah Hodgins because I feel like some of them are. Some of these players get this allure around them, this mystique, where they're like, well, if, if this guy just puts it together...
3: If, a, a if Brandon just, Riley.
4: If he could just put it together. A and then the Duke but the, Williams. But the question is what? If he puts it all together, then what? He gets to stand on the sideline and warm up... Like, like what? Warm up the special teams unit?
3: No, what he would do is, when you watch a pregame show, and then they show... Uh, Josh Allen warming up. He's the guy that stands next to Josh Allen to catch the return balls and then hands them <sighs> to Josh and he throws him to whomever he's throwing to.
4: And he, Isaiah Hodgins, now I, it's, it's funny because earlier in the show, Scott touched on this dynamic of if you're going to be a young player trying to make a team in the NFL and you're not a starting caliber talent, you better play fucking special teams and you better do it well. Uh, This happened with a fifth-round running back the Bills drafted back during the Rex Ryan era. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, fuck, call in if you know. But Sean McDermott took over in 2017, and Jonathan Williams, I think his name was. Sounds right. Jonathan Williams didn't play special teams. He had been a starter throughout his entire collegiate career, so he had no experience on special teams. He wasn't a returner. He just didn't do much. And so when we cut him, people were kind of surprised and said, well, we wasted a draft pick. Yeah, but if he's not going to play, if he's stuck behind LaShawn McCoy and he's not explosive enough to be a starter, then what do you do with a guy? You can't give him a roster spot if he's not going to do anything for you. Chris, that would be like me signing you to your jo- Like, that would be like me hiring you to do the job you do right now. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right now, you're actively doing something at work. You're driving a tug around. What they're asking, what they would be asking him to do is, hey, we're going to hire you and we're going to pay you, but instead sit in the break room and wait. Just wait. That happens. Maybe someday we'll have a tram for you to drive. Until then, we just need you to sit here and watch
3: TV. You know that Jonathan Williams is, uh, he plays, played for six teams. That doesn't surprise me. Six teams. Two stints with Washington or Detroit, excuse me. Three with Washington. Man. He's currently on the Redskins or Commanders. I'm still going to go Redskins. He's still on the Redskins.
4: It just feels normal to say it that way, I guess. For us, same way we call Ralph Wilson Stadium Ralph Wilson Stadium. And Greg Thompson from cover one gives a shit because he's like, oh, I can't imagine anyone would call it the Ralph. Be like, hey, you want to go to the Ralph? That's what I like in my head. It's Ralph Wilson Stadium Mm -hmm. as it will be until they knock it down. And I'll see him and the rest of you who don't. You don't have to agree with me. If you if you strongly oppose me, I will see you in hell. You look at that. I mean, I I think the other thing I might have been surprised by was Duke Johnson and Raheem Blackshear. I don't know why, but I thought that Blackshear had done enough. I thought he had done enough to warrant a spot on the 53. If not, I thought Duke Johnson would be the that, that next guy. And instead, when you look at the makeup of the Bills roster, I mean, I'm going to head over to our lads. Let's see. Our lads. Because it really is just, it's my favorite.
3: So Blackshear's undrafted. And we're not going to carry four running backs. We drafted Singletary, Cook, and Moss. Well, technically, because of Tywan Jones, we are carrying four
4: running backs. Well, he's special teams. He's a running back as much as you are, Chris. Correct. So I guess it's just one of those things. You can't have a fifth guy on the running back depth chart who just isn't going to see the field. Luckily, we were able to get him on the practice squad. Which, you know, at the top of the show, you heard Brandon. I mean, I guess if there's a silver lining to all of this, at the top of the show, you heard Brandon Bean's comments about him enjoying the expanded practice squad. And just the rules and the flexibility that it gives, the elevations they can pull up, basically how it all works. I think that's important when you look at the makeup of the Bills practice squad. Because even if you don't agree with all the cuts that were made. We now have Duke Johnson and Raheem Blackshear both on the practice squad. Joe Giles Harris, good special teamer. I mean, you pray to God you never need him in a game, but he's out there. He's on your special teams. Greg Manns, Isaiah Hodgins is back. You just go down the list. I mean, some of these guys, you know, Brandon Bryant, you, you don't really know. He, he played once, once upon a time and didn't look lost, but wasn't great. CJ Brewer, I, I believe he's a rookie. <laughs> but Tavon Austin being able to stash him on the practice squad feels like a win,
3: doesn't it? Yeah, you got Barkley and Austin, and I would I would put in there um, Mike Love, Mike Love too.
4: Mike Love's been on our practice squad for four years.
3: Yeah, uh, if you you know not to. Uh, well it's probably already out. So you guys if you guys download after the Snap Reed talked about having Mike Love on the practice squad in the uh, in his ability to mirror some guys he sees on special teams that line up across from Reed and how to block and you know practicing uh you know cheat a little and get mm-hmm. off the line to to kind of get Reed to help recover. So Reed talked about him on after the snap and what he brings to the practice squad just from a special team standpoint
4: i think that's again another nuance of this game that gets lost amongst the average fan is that this practice squad a lot of times what they're trying to do is they're trying to emulate the other teams that they're going to see when they're in practice you need talents they need a duke johnson they need a raheem blackshear they need some of these players they're going to need isaiah Hodgins at some point to mimic somebody else on the other team I remember reading that I think it was Isaiah McKenzie was acting as Lamar Jackson when they were trying to prep for the Baltimore games because they needed someone who was shifty and fast so that they could figure out how to close off running lanes quickly enough. There's, there's so much that goes into this, but so to hear him at the top of the show talk about this practice squad, this is what he's talking about. You know, they get. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Tanner Gentry comes back. They've got bodies. But they've also got bodies that they're comfortable with who have been around the team for a long time. I mean, Joe Giles-Harris was here last year. Tanner Gentry was here last year. Mike Love has been around for a long time. Isaiah Hodgins, Matt Barkley. These are guys who are all very comfortable with this organization. Duke Johnson is a a pro. He's been around for a while, so it's not like he's new to the NFL. Brandon Bryant has spent time with this organization. In-house, they've got bodies that they trust. And that they also know they can use situationally in practices to try to emulate things. I think it's a great makeup of the roster. So even when you think about who got away, you can be upset that some of these guys didn't clear waivers and make it, like Nick, uh, McLeod. Yeah, claimed by the Giants. And that was one that, that was one that, uh, Brandon Bean even said. He, he's pissed that he didn't get back and he wishes that you could keep 56 instead of 53. But then's the rules. And when you've um, developed a good football, not just a team, Because there's teams that go out there and buy their way into having a good team. When you've developed, Chris, you see this in the NHL a lot, a pipeline of talent. Yes. When you've cultivated an entire roster over years, I guess at that point, this is the consequence of that. True or false? True. You're going to lose talented players to other football teams. Now, when we talk about our favorite and least favorite parts of the roster, I always hate ending any show on a down note Points of concern. I don't like the fact that when you look at who our starters are slated to be this year, I've got two rookies being in the mix for starters at punt return and kick returner. I don't know what that looks like. Marquez Stevenson. Everyone thought that he could do the job. They gave it to McKenzie. McKenzie didn't quite pan out as a punt returner. They turned and immediately gave the job to Marquez Stevenson. His very first game on Thanksgiving, he fumbles the football. (laughs) <laughs> just he never stood out he never really made anything happen and so now you're turning to more inexperienced players mckenzie's your kick returner but behind him is cook all right cook's an athlete you expect that he's going to be pretty good just his traits say that he can probably do the job but you've never seen him do it i don't know i don't i don't love that But I also think it's notable that once again, a return job gets tied to the wide receiver room. They kept seven to get Stevenson onto the IR, then signed our punter, Sam Martin, to get it back down to six. At this point, McDermott just has a flat out tell in terms of how he likes to build his rosters, doesn't he?
3: I mean, I'm a little... Return
4: jobs will never really touch the running back room. It is always going to flow through the wide receiver room.
3: Yeah, the uh well special teams as as a whole would be like my concern because of the rookie establishment at kick and punt return and then also we I mean you probably won't see a whole lot of uh I don't know what the word is uh I think that you'll see chemistry but you know I just hope they're able to get it in a week with the snapping. Yeah. Snap hold kick he helped
4: for Brandon McManus, and he was pretty damn good. Yeah, so. but that's
3: also in Denver, where there's thin air.
4: I don't think air affects holding a ball. I think the kicks, sure. Holding holding the football, I don't think... This isn't... I mean, unless you're talking about deflating the football, like those losers up in New England.
3: Yeah. that's. <laughs> Otherwise, I
4: don't think it has anything to do with holding a football.
3: That's also the thing. Oh, can we get this out of the way now? Can Is there... Uh, Seagram's in the fridge. I believe there is. There should be one. There might be one left. There's two left. There's two left. Throw me one.
4: Yep. Throw me one. I'm not going to throw it because I'll put
3: it.
4: it. T- t- Come on. Toss it. We paid too much for this stuff. Chris, I, uh, walk your ass over here. No,
3: I thought you were an athlete. You just can't uh, toss. I'm afraid. I, I'm an athlete. I'm I know scared. How to, I know how to catch. Just toss it.
4: Granny style. Two hands. I'm yeah, throwing you... beers around the.
3: You call Aww. this a beer? You're not throwing beers around. I'm not throwing beverages. What are, What are you drinking for? Just wait. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm because we're yep. talking about specialists. Ariza is no longer here, so we <laughs> make the fifty-three. <laughs> yeah, so your fucking we, high horse you got on. We, we both lose that <laughs> that bet. But mine, mine had some <laughs> substance behind it.
4: Some some shenanigans, we'll call it. No, we don't want to make light of it. But Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. So the other point of concern I have, while you chug that nonsense, the only point of concern I have is cornerback depth. We've got a lot of youth there when you look at it on paper, and I feel like that could be a problem when you factor in. We're going to go a couple, at least four weeks without Trey White. At least four. Maybe even a few more than that. The youth that we have at the cornerback position is going to come back and bite us in the ass in a few ways. I think that they're on the whole going to be all right, but it's tough. Like week one is obviously a big test. We're going to talk about that in this week's preview, but just on the whole young kids who haven't played NFL caliber football, asking them to play the run, asking them to play man coverage at the NFL level against starting NFL caliber wide receivers. It's not a great matchup. So it's a little concerning to me that we're going to have to go the first month of football.
3: When can he come back, technically? Uh, Five? five. Against Pittsburgh? Yep. I mean, outside of... I'd let him sit that week, too. I
4: think, actually, and I know we talked about it earlier in the summer, that I think we'll be okay without him for the first month. I just don't love the fact that they didn't go out and make the move. I mean, kudos to Christian Benford, but... They didn't go out and make a move to
3: get a veteran guy here in-house. Well, all we had, the Rams, yeah, they got some talent at receiver. Tennessee runs the ball. Miami, you don't know if Tua can get it to Tyreek. Baltimore, they don't use wide receivers. Pittsburgh's going to have a rookie. Does he even know
4: where they are? I don't know. I wonder if Lamar Jackson even knows their names. <laughs> all right, maybe, maybe now I'm just being insulting, but either way, don't care. It's funny to me that that's, that's a conversation we have to have. I like the makeup of the roster. That one spot just bothers me a little. Just the amount of youth and that we didn't make a move to address that somewhere. Even during the cutdown process, there were veterans all across the NFL who got cut this week. I mean, if I go to Spotrack right now, Spotrack free agent tracker, boop, boop, boody, boop, 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 do. Gonna get this pulled up and. I'm
3: mean, gonna just saw on the ticker because we got Oklahoma State and, uh, Central Michigan on. I did see that Josh Gordon went to Tennessee on the practice squad. Josh Rosen. Can we stop talking about Josh Gordon?
4: I, I feel like this is Mean Girls. Stop trying to make Josh Gordon happen. It's fucking over. All right? <laughs> Rose. He drank and smoked his way out of the NFL. It's unfortunate because I don't think... Listen, uh, my, my whole marijuana and football thing is this. The NFL is a meritocracy. If you're bad at your job, you don't get to play it for very long. Like You just don't get to do the job for very long if you're bad at it. You know what makes you not good at sports, Chris?
3: The way Oklahoma State tried to tackle there?
4: Booze and weed don't make you good at sports. As a guy who's gotten hammered before pickup games of hockey, it don't help. It's not a performance-enhancing substance by any stretch. If you are self-medicating with weed and alcohol and you're still good enough to play at an NFL level, then who the fuck are they to tell you you can't? If you can still score touchdowns and put up yardage, who are they to tell you that you can't do this thing?
3: Yeah, you will have a job in the NFL as long as your talent outweighs your off-the-field problems. So
4: if you're not getting arrested for weed, you're not getting in any trouble for it. If you show up high and can still put up 98 on five catches and a TD, who the fuck is a NFL franchise to tell you you can't? I don't know. I I just, I get frustrated about that. But you look over right now, Chris, I'm looking at this. So Trey Waynes, Joe Hayden, Chris Harris, Janoris Jenkins, Kevin King, Xavier Rhodes, Jimmy Smith out there from Baltimore. He gets released. AJ Bouye, Terrence Mitchell, Travis Carey, Justin Bethel. He just actually got picked up, uh, Justin Bethel. Vernon Hargreaves. There, there are names out there, right? And those are just the old guys. Those are just like kind of like the vet, the more veteran guys. There's other cornerbacks that you could bring in for next to no money and put them on this roster. They intentionally chose to go with youth. Scares the hell out of me, but I'm not Brandon Bean. I don't get to make those calls. Yeah, he's smart, and you're not. Things that I enjoy are that our trenches are pretty stacked. In the trenches, the Buffalo Bills are pretty top to bottom. I mean, they've made this roster. They've got Greg Van Roten, but they've also got Greg Manns in the practice squad. Bobby Hart is still here. So you've got guys with guard tackle flexibility, guard center flexibility, Tommy Doyle, who's got tackle or guard flexibility. And those three guys who can play in one of these positions are backing up the most athletic starting offense. Oh, and Spencer Brown, who's a backup. Because Questenberry seems to, for right now, have the starting job going into week one. Like, we have, you could take some of our backups and make them starters on another team somewhere in the NFL.
3: Yes, the Jets, the Redskins.
4: Look at our defensive line. Tell me that's not the same story. Tell me Dequan Jones doesn't go in as an, as a one tech on any other team. And that Tim Settle probably doesn't get a significant number of snaps on at least five other teams in the AFC East. That's a true AFC statement. East, AFC. Yeah. So this team in the trenches is stacked with talent. And our wide receiver group is really multifaceted. You know, you take a look in years past, we'd always see it as Stefan Diggs is our, our ex-receiver who just does it all. Gabe Davis is taking the role of the Z-receiver who's going to be on the opposite side of the field from him. And then it would have been Cole Beasley as your slot guy that you look at and go, okay... I guess they call it the Y, your flanker, or whatever you want to call it. But it's one of those things where you see him and you say, here's what Beasley does. He plays zone really well. He has his nuance to his route running and his just understanding of spatial awareness between linebackers. He can make himself available to Josh in tight spots. Well, now... We've taken that, and if you talk to our defensive backs during the course of training camp, they looked at the problem that both Isaiah McKenzie and Jameson Crowder present together, and they said it's actually really hard to stay on balance when you have both of these guys because Crowder has the savvy, route-running, feel-for-zone, kind of the same way that Cole Beasley did. But Isaiah McKenzie's a much, fat, much more athletic specimen. He's a little bit more explosive in terms of his ability to make cuts, yards after the catch, the stuff he'll do in the open field. Being able to throw all of these things at a defensive group is a lot. And then you factor in Khalil Shakir into that group of guys that we can throw into the attack the middle of a defense, depending on what their makeup and constitution is. I really think that I like the different skill sets, each one of these things. Mackenzie's more of a route runner. He's more shifty in the open field. Khalil Shakir's a little stiffer, but he's just straight speed contested catch ability for a small guy. He plays with a little bit of balls to him and I like what he brings. And then Crowder's just your steady, hey, I can make myself available to you as a security blanket underneath. This group might be the most well-rounded we've had from top to bottom in the last two or three years. I guess the question that we've been asking everybody else, Chris, I want to ask you, the Bills can win the AFC East for a third consecutive year in 2022
3: if, if what? There's no significant injuries.
4: I'd say even with, a, I mean, depending on who, I mean, you lose Josh Allen. Okay. Now we're talking about, we're talking about something, but there's also a reason you traded for Case Keenum. And you saw some flashes of that when he got to play in that preseason game with the Bills starting offense, how he just, all right, we're going to be the same vertically attacking offense. <laughs> We're going to do, th- we're not going to change the playbook just because I'm a backup and I'm in the game. And it worked. The play calling and at least the synergy between offensive coordinator and quarterback worked. Now, I don't know if that continues in the regular season, but at least I know they're communicating well and you could maybe pull off. I mean, your defense would have to do a lot of heavy lifting, but ultimately, I think that barring an injury to Josh Allen, like a long term one, Just look around the division. Miami thinks it's got something. There's a lot of people who think that their coach is a fraud. It's just the way he talks, just some of the things he said, and then what other analysts see and what people who know football know. Holy shit. What? Is this the problem with you having TV on in here? Applebee's, $12.99, all you can eat fucking boneless wings? What? Are we going? Let's go to Applebee's right now. (laughs) <laughs> we'll do the, We'll finish this podcast from fucking Applebee's. Twelve ninety nine, all you can eat boneless wings. They've never seen me work. Although, isn't the only way like the only r- proper way to leave Applebee's? Isn't it like being dragged out by sheriffs after drinking too many like two dollar martinis or whatever the hell their their drink of the month is?
3: Yeah, I mean we could head head on down to Applebee's at uh, Southgate Plaza if you want to. That's <laughs> just down the road.
4: I think the Bills can win the AFCs for a third consecutive year if they just stay the course. Just continue being who and what you are. That's it. Your roster's the deepest. Your quarterback's the best. Your wide receiver group is better than everybody else's. I Chris, we piss excellence. That we do. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is. I piss excellence. And nobody can hang with my stuff. That's Josh Allen talking about the 2022 Buffalo Bills. Honestly, obviously nothing's a given. The Patriots are on their way down. The New York Jets are just hoping they can crawl out of the bottom. Miami is once again believing that they have oh off his hands. <laughs> this is why you don't trust the Gundy, the Gundy <laughs> machine. It's 7-7 in the first quarter, Chris. I'm not liking this. 12 versus an unranked?
3: Yep. God.
4: My ADHD will not allow me to podcast and watch football at the same time. So ultimately, I think we're going to be just fine. Again, it would take a wave of injuries to derail this train, I think. But who knows? Luckily, we don't have to sit around and fucking postulate about this stuff because real live football action starts next week, and I can't wait. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup.
6: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?